From the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardes Alam. This week, Va'era. This week, Rabbi Michael Hatton discusses Va'era. Rabbi Michael Hatton is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Michael Hatton. Last week's Parshat Shmot concluded with the first encounter of Moshe and Aharon with Paro and with their utter failure to secure the liberation of the people of Israel, appearing before him to demand the immediate release of the Hebrew slaves for a three-day vacation of worship in the wilderness, presenting themselves as the emissaries of the invisible God of Israel, Moshe and his brother were not able to sway the God-King's heart. Who is God that I should hearken to his voice to let Israel go, he thundered. I do not know God nor will I let Israel free. Quite the opposite, for Pharaoh decided to impose upon the hapless slaves even more back-breaking servitude. From now on, the people would no longer be given the straw needed to fashion their tally of bricks, but will painfully have to gather it themselves. Ejected from the presence of the king, Moshe and Aharon wait expectantly at the palace portal for miraculous intervention, but none is forthcoming. In the meantime, a delegation of Hebrew taskmasters arrives to plead the case of the Hebrews who cannot meet their tally of bricks, but Pharaoh dismisses them derisively. An unplanned and uncomfortable meeting then takes place between the dejected taskmasters and their ostensible leaders, Moshe and Aharon, the two brothers who only a short time earlier had arrived from afar bearing wondrous signs and delirious tidings of salvation. They encountered Moshe and Aharon standing before them as they came out from Pharaoh's presence. They said to them, May God see what you have done and judge you, for you have made us despicable in the sight of Pharaoh and his ministers, placing a sword in their hands to kill us. Moshe, stung by the people's disappointment and dejected by God's apparent indifference, now questions the wisdom of his mission. O oh God, why have you dwelt grievously with this people? Why have you sent me? Since I have come to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt harshly with this nation, but you have not saved your people. God, however, is unmoved, and instead announces to Moshe the promise of imminent success. You will now see that which I shall do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them forth and with a strong hand he will drive them forth from his land. What follows, of course, beginning in our Parsha, is the onslaught of the plagues, proclaiming God's complete mastery over the forces of nature, over the gods of Egypt, and over Pharaoh himself. The Lord spoke to Moshe and said to him, I am God. I appear to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov by El Shaddai, but my name, God, I made not known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings in which they sojourned. I also have heard the choking cries of my people of Israel, whom Egypt oppresses, and I have remem remembered my covenant. Therefore tell the people of Israel that I am God, and I shall remove you from under the burdens of Egypt, and I shall rescue you, rescue you from their labor." and I shall redeem you with an outstretched arm and with awesome punishments. I shall take you to me as my people, and I shall be your God. You will know that I am God your Lord who extricates you 
from under the burdens of Egypt. I shall then bring you to the land that I swore with an oath to give to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and I shall give it to you as an inheritance, for I am God. Moshe spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not hearken to Moshe because of their broken spirit and because of the hard labor. Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 9. This brief and poignant passage, speaking of God's loving concern and the people's abject disappointment, begins and ends with a reference to the forefathers. God revealed himself to them, but only by the peculiar name of El Shaddai, his name God, in the original Hebrew rendered by the so-called ineffable four letters of Yud, He, Vav, and He, and known as the Tetragrammaton, Tetra meaning four, Grammaton letters, the four-letter name, remained unknown to them. It is apparently this name that Moshe is now to communicate to the people of Israel, as he informs them that God is aware of their plight and will imminently intervene to save them. Moshe is to tell the people that God will save them from Egyptian oppression through the exercise of his awesome power. God will redeem them. He will take them as his special people and he will bring them to the land. This final act of restoring them to Canaan will constitute the fulfillment of his oath to their forefathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the very ones who were earlier described as somehow possessing an incomplete picture of his essence. The passage concludes with the observation that the people of Israel, overtaxed and crushed with ceaseless toil, remained unimpressed with God's soothing words. While the general outline of the above passage, its description of God's care, his involvement, and his preparedness to now act is straightforward enough, the particulars of the matter are much more obscure. Why does the verse indicate that God appeared to the forefathers in the guise of El Shaddai, but not by his proper name? What is the import of the difference between these two names of God? How do these names relate to the present trouble of the people? How is Israel to achieve calm by appreciating the theological distinction between both of them? How does all of the above relate to the landscape of Canaan, seemingly the most important part of the equation? We will concentrate on the words of Nachmanides, who incorporates in his comments the thoughts of Rashi as well as Ibn Ezra. Let us preface Nachmanides' words by noting that while a superficial reading of our text may give the impression that the forefathers were only aware of the divine name El Shaddai, but not the four-letter name of God, the narratives of the book of Genesis suggest otherwise. It is the case that the combination El Shaddai features prominently in the narratives of the patriarchs, where it occurs six times. Genesis 17, verse 1, 28, verse 3, 35, verse 11, 43, verse 14, 48, verse 3, and 49, verse 25. Nowhere else is the name referred to in this form. However, God does employ the name yud He vav He in direct address to Avraham in Genesis 15, verse 7, and to Yaakov, Genesis 28, verse 13. 
Therefore, the verse cannot be indicating that the patriarchs were not aware of the tetragrammaton in the simple literal sense. Instead, the Torah must be suggesting that they lacked an appreciation of the name's meaning and implication, and instead had to content themselves with experiencing the God-human relationship through the prism of El Shaddai. The Ramban, that is Nachmanides, explains. The wise Rabbi Avraham Ibn Ezra explained that the matter of the verse is to state that God appeared to the patriarchs by this name, El Shaddai, for it suggests his subduing of the celestial order. Though he did great miracles on their behalf, they were not accomplished through the suspension of the laws of nature. In famine they were preserved from death, in combat from the sword. The patriarchs were blessed with wealth, honor, and all variety of goodness, after the manner of all of the Torah's promises of blessings or curses. After all, continues Nachmanides, goodness does not befall a person as reward for mitzvah performance, nor does evil strike down the transgressor, except through the agency of a miracle. A man left to his own devices and to the effects of the constellations is neither benefit, benefited nor harmed by his deeds. Rather, the reward and punishment in this life associated with the keeping or breaking of the Torah is completely miraculous, but nevertheless concealed. The onlooker sees only the functioning of the natural order, but these things truly are a man's reward or punishment. According to the Ibn Ezra, the name Shaddai derives from the root Shin Dalad Dalad, Shadad, associated with overpowering or defeating. The name El means mighty. The combination of the two therefore yields an emphatic description of God's awesome might. But, explains the Ramban, the might that God exhibits when in the guise of El Shaddai is not obvious or overt, but rather hidden. It is God overturning the fate that is spelled out in the stars. It is God subduing the outcome that is predicted by statistical probability. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov all suffer through periods of famine, but they do not perish. They experience warfare, but they are not harmed. God intervenes to save and to preserve them, but when he does so, he does not overturn the natural order. Salvation of the patriarchs is accomplished through completely natural means. The onlooker may conceivably see no trace of divine involvement. But God is there. Through the subtle arrangement and rearrangement of causes and effects, God is able to guarantee an outcome that represents only one possibility among many. But it is the possibility that yields survival and success. But, says the Ramban, there is more. All of the Torah's promises of reward or punishment in this world operate according to similar principles. There is therefore absolutely no rationale or apparent causal link between a person's performance of a mitzvah act or commission of a transgression and the Torah's stated reward for the deed. In Genesis 46 verse 15, the Ramban elaborates. One who cohabits with forbidden relatives or consumes the prohibited fat of an animal, two crimes punishable by spiritual excision, 
does not incur death according to any natural process, nor should the heavens cease to provide their rains as a consequence of the people of Israel planting during the sabbatical year. All of the Torah's promises of success concerning those matters, and all of the achievements of the righteous, all of the prayers of David our king, as well as all of our prayers, are miracles and wonders that do not, however, involve overt subjugations of the natural order. In Ramban's formulation, God's involvement is concrete and real, but covert and concealed at the same time. The world appears to be operating according to exclusively natural and predictable laws of cause and effect, but God's participation in the process will decide the outcome. It is that divine participation that renders an event a miracle rather than any supernatural effects. We are all familiar with stories, apocryphal and true, of situations in which a person's seemingly insignificant decision in response to seemingly innocuous choices has altered their life and the lives of others irrevocably. One who misses their routine morning bus ride is confronted with innumerable possibilities of getting to work. Almost always the subsequent course of action taken yields results that are unsurprising and expected. But occasionally the consequences can be fateful. What we fail to realize, however, is that every choice that we make, every situation, and every option is just as charged for the one who lives their life in God's presence. For God, in fact, guides every progression to its conclusion. This is the meaning of God acting with the attributes of El Shaddai, for the name indicates his concealed guidance, just as the patriarchs and the matriarchs experienced that guidance during the entire course of their lives. Presumably, according to the Ramban, one who lives a life estranged from God and his watchful gaze, insensitive to his holy calling and deaf to his words, experiences only the vagaries of nature living and dying in accordance with purely mechanistic principles. Significantly, however, because God's involvement is hidden under multiple layers of customary conjunction, the outside observer may be unable to distinguish between the unfolding destiny of a matriarchal life versus the banal fate of a mechanistic one. The Ramban continues, God therefore indicates to Moshe, that I appeared to the patriarchs with my strong hand, by which I overpower the stars and assist my chosen ones. That is the name El Shaddai. But I did not make myself known to them by the four-letter name, by which all existence was brought into being. I did not create new realities for them by upsetting the laws of nature. Therefore tell the people of Israel that I am God, four-letter name. Indicate to them this great name a further time, for by it I will perform wonders for them, so that they may know that I am God who does all. The message of hope that Moshe is to convey to the oppressed Israelites is that God will now intervene overtly and obviously in their lives in order to extricate them from bondage. He will very soon perform miracles and wonders on their behalf, phenomena that will upset the laws of nature and make clear beyond any doubt, that I am God who does all. He will unleash the plagues. The people of Israel, therefore, need not cry out anymore, 
for God has seen their plight, and he will topple the cosmic order in the course of their liberation. While the Ramban on our passage does not explain the matter any further, from his comments at the conclusion of Parshat Bo, Exodus 13, verse 16, it emerges that God's performance of overt miracles is a necessary reaction to situations in which people may lack sufficient trust, but that the ideal form of his involvement is actually the more meandering route of Nesnistar, the concealed intervention or miracle. The upset of natural law, which we mistakenly tend to associate with God's real intervention, is in fact an oblique response to jaded human hearts that no longer recognize the existence or involvement of an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent creator. Those that are steadfast in trust, aware of God's constant care and concern, those that follow the paradigm of the patriarchs and the matriarchs, have no need for overt miracles to bolster their faith. The people of Israel oppressed beyond their capacity to bear, crushed by Pharaoh and his evil henchmen into the dust, numb to any other reality beyond meeting the tally of their mud bricks, could not be faulted for their impatience with Moshe and for their inability to internalize God's soothing words. They could not be expected to have preserved the essence of El Shaddai when all around them the brutal gods of servitude held sway. So God indicated to them that he would overturn heaven and earth in order to save them. At the same time, God makes clear, through his reference to the patriarchs, the matriarchs, and to the land, that there is another dimension to his involvement. The truest expression of God's absolute abilities and unfathomable essence may in fact be indicated by the name yud Hey vav Hey, but the name that best articulates the role of the human being in the scheme of things, free to act and free to believe, the name that best conveys God's acknowledgement of human potential and God's ultimate faith in human choices is actually the name El Shaddai. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Rabbi Hatton. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.